The following program is paid programming. The views expressed on the following program are those of its hosts and participants, and nowhere reflect those of the ownership, staff, or advertisers of WNRI. Well, it's one for the money, two for the show, three to get ready now, go Sign my name all over the place. Do anything you want to do. But I'm a honey, they all pass you. Don't you? Devil, my blue friends. We're going to do anything. Okay, welcome once again to Dunn's Deal. We're going to have a lot of fun tonight. Oh, yeah, the news is fun, and I get to play Nostradamus here tonight. But no, I'm not going to speak in quadrants. You won't have to try and figure out what it is I'm trying to say. I'm just going to come right out and say it. And the first thing I have to say is Joe Biden is not the president. He's the thief-in-chief, the cellar-dweller. He's the king of crappers and dementia Don. I've got a lot of information for you from (laughs) dementia Don, from... Joe Biden and from Vladimir Putin because uh, boy oh boy are we in for uh, are we in for uh, some fireworks we've got a potential World War 3 coming up and um, I'll, I'll let uh, well there's one leader <laughs> I'll let the, the people who should be duking it out, uh, have their say here. First up will be Vlad the Rad. That's right, Vladimir Putin. And uh, he gives a, a little warning here. It's, it's um, going to be about two and a half minutes worth of it, two separate pieces. And it's quite important to uh, listen to and, you know, just keep in mind. So here he goes. Dear friends, today our army... And by the way, there's a female interpreter here. That's why it doesn't sound like it's uh, Vlad the Rad speaking. But let me start it again. Dear friends, today our army, as I said, is acting at the military front line, exceeding a thousand kilometers. And they are facing not just the neo-Nazis, but the whole military machine of the collective West. In this situation, I deem it's necessary to make the following decision, which is appropriate in full to the threat we're facing. For defense of our motherland, its sovereignty and territorial integrity, to ensure the security of our people and in the freed territories, I deem it necessary to support the proposal of the Ministry of Defense and the General Command for partial mobilization held in the Russian Federation. I stress it is partial mobilization. Only those who are currently in reserve will be conscripted and also those who served in the army have certain military professions and will be always given additional military training, taking into account the special military operation. The um, decree of partial mobilization has been signed. Officially, the chambers of the Federal Assembly and the State Duma will be informed. The mobilization events shall start today on the 21st of September. Okay, so what Putin is saying here is that he's expanding the war because the war has been expanded on him. Now, whether you like him or not, whether you believe him or not, he's couching this as a protection of the motherland, of protecting Russia. And you have to put it in the same context of John F. Kennedy not allowing missiles in Cuba in 1962. 1962, right? Um, Kennedy was, was imposing, was telling another country what to do, you know, via Nikita Khrushchev, because um, Vladimir uh, Castro was was a puppet. Fidel Castro was a puppet of Khrushchev. 
So John Kennedy was telling Cuba, you cannot have missiles there. Now, this whole thing has been started because for over 20 years, Vladimir Putin has said that Ukraine cannot join NATO. That is a tripwire. That's my red line. If it goes to join NATO, war will break out. Well, the West has been pushing for Ukraine to join NATO. And they kept pushing and pushing. And while uh, Putin started, (laughs) I won't even say Putin started the war. NATO pushed Putin into going to war because he's protecting Russia, just like John F. Kennedy was protecting the United States when he told Nikita Khrushchev, uh, the president of uh, the USSR, not to put missiles into Cuba. So that is Putin's position. Now, I guess this past couple of weeks, uh, Russia had, um, you know, a a setback and Ukraine has gained back some land. And so Putin is going to bring more more troops, more soldiers out into the battle. And he does not look at this as being a war against Ukraine. He sees it as a war against NATO, which it is. (laughs) <laughs> the United States has funded uh, you know, Ukraine up the wazoo. And supposedly there are special forces in Ukraine helping out with this current push. And Vladimir Putin is just saying, we are fighting the West. So we need more troops. We need heavier equipment. We need to pull out all the stops. Including the next segment will be how far he's willing to go with this. So let's get to the next part of this. They're not just talking about Russia being completely destroyed, a battlefield, talking about political, cultural, and all the types of sovereignty with complete pillage. Now they're talking about nuclear blackmail. The Zaporozhye nuclear power plant was shelled, and also some high-positioned representatives of leading NATO states were saying that there might be possibility and um, permissibility to use nuclear weapons against Russia. Those that allow such statements shall be reminded that our country also has various weapons of destruction and with regard to certain components they're even more modern than the NATO ones and if there is a threat to the territorial integrity of our country and for protecting our people we will certainly use all the means available to us and I'm not bluffing. Russian citizens can be certain that the territorial integrity of our motherland our freedom and uh, independence shall be secured. Okay, so right there, Putin is saying that uh, the West is threatening uh, to, to use nuclear arms, and he's just reminding the West that they have plenty of nukes themselves, and they will use it if they feel that that Russia is under attack. And believe me, Putin believes. Again, whether you think he's right or not, but he believes that the West actually wants to go in and conquer Russia and break it up into multiple, multiple little little states. And <laughs> if you remember what happened with after Libya got uh, split up, well, not split up, but after Gaddafi got killed and taken out of, of Libya, after we took Saddam Hussein out of Iraq and even in, Afghan- in Afghanistan, we had a proliferation of warlords that were running around. Remember ISIS? Uh, we don't talk much about ISIS in the news anymore, but uh, they were pretty cutthroat, literally. And they were being held down by the likes of Saddam Hussein and, um, and Khomeini and uh, whoever it was that was the Taliban that was running Afghanistan. It's funny. Putin said that he would use nukes if it was necessary for the safety of, of Russia. 
And then he says, and I don't bluff. Well, <laughs> no, he doesn't bluff. He hasn't bluffed. He's never bluffed. He does what he says he's going to do. He said that if the West keeps pushing for Ukraine to be, become a part of NATO, that he would go to war over it. And guess what he did? He went to war over it. Now he says that he will use nukes, you know, tactical nukes, small ones, just a little nuclear explosion, if there's such a thing. And I've read this article. I tried to print it out before I got here, but uh, my computer froze up. My laptop computer froze up, and I, I couldn't reprint this stupid thing. Um, it was an article by Yahoo News, and it was kind of a long one. And at the end of it, it was saying, well, Putin's just bluffing. And Putin doesn't bluff. <laughs> if he pulls a gun on you and says, uh, you better run or I'm going to shoot, um, you better run. And no, I'm not trying to say that the United States has to be cowardly here. I'm saying that just as JFK didn't want Russia imposing its military you know, upon us, threatening us at our southern border, Cuba I'm talking about, and not the problems there at, uh, in Texas and stuff. Just as JFK drew a red line that Khrushchev realized couldn't be crossed, Putin has his red line, and we did cross it. But, and this is what I really want to get into, Oh, no, I, I should play Joe Biden first. Uh, get the other side of the story. And um, we'll see what Joe Biden has to say about it. He does bluff. He lies. And he is painted into a corner now. And there's a couple of, of reasons why he's got to look tough here. But let's uh, hear what Joe Biden's got to say. Let us speak plainly. Permanent member of the United Nations Security Council invaded its neighbor, attempted to erase the sovereign state from the map. Russia has shamelessly violated the core tenets of the United Nations Charter. No more important than the clear prohibition against countries taking the territory of their neighbor by force. Again, just today, President Putin has made overt nuclear threats against Europe and a reckless disregard for the responsibilities of the non-proliferation regime. Now, Russia is calling, calling up more soldiers to join the fight. And the Kremlin is organizing a sham referendum to try to annex parts of Ukraine, an extremely <coughs> significant violation of the UN Charter. This world should see these outrageous acts for what they are. Putin claims he had to act because Russia was threatened. But no one threatened Russia. And no one other than Russia sought conflict. That's false. NATO threatened Russia. Bringing Ukraine into into NATO was a threat to Russia, just as having missiles in Cuba was a threat to to the United States. Exact same thing. It's spheres of influence, and I know that's that's an old-fashioned kind of term, but it's real politic, people. We have a sphere of influence. Yeah, actually, we're trying to push our sphere of influence into the whole world. I've got my book here today, United States of Empire, because I want to look at, at red flags. And Joe Biden is, is painting up a red flag right now, and he's getting ready to wave it. And I believe he's going to wave it before the, the election. But, um, yeah. Putin had warned the whole world not that, that, that the Ukraine needed to be a buffer zone. As long as it was a buffer zone, everything would have been fine, would have been copacetic. Ukraine might not have liked it much, 
but that's what happens when you have a superpower to your north. Just like I'm sure that Cuba, Fidel Castro down there, probably didn't like it that he couldn't have his missiles. You know, but the United States said no. And we were ready to go to war over it. In fact, one of the reasons why Kennedy might have, uh, well, he did get assassinated. But one of the possible reasons is because he, he didn't go into Cuba. He didn't invade. He, he sought the diplomatic route out of that situation. That's not what... Um, that's not what NATO is doing. They did not seek the diplomatic route out of this situation, and they pushed Putin until he invaded. Now, I was talking about red flags, and things don't look well for Joe Biden and the Democrats in the upcoming elections. I know there's not a whole lot of talk about the red wave right now. Yeah, remember everyone was saying, "Oh, there's going to be this huge wave, this huge wave of of conservatives uh, going getting elected this this fall." It's still there. People just aren't talking about it much. It's not in the news lately. <laughs> you think the abortion issue is really going to carry the uh, the Democrats back into office? The killing of babies, Moloch worship, really? This country is. Is completely lost if that's the case. <laughs> you think all those cross dressers down there in Washington, Sam Britton, let's see, the uh, uh, he, he works in the Department of Energy somewhere, or Robert Levine, who calls himself Rachel, you think that's impressing the voters? That's going to get them to come out? You know? <laughs> Uh, maybe a few LGBT, teachers will come out and vote for that, but you're not going to get a huge, you're not going to get millions of people unless you steal the election again. But there's a problem with stealing the election. You have to do it in 50 states this time around. You, they were able to steal a 2020 election from Trump because they could go to six individual states and very specific locations in those states in order to affect the outcome. They've got to repeat that steal in all 50 states. Now, they'll do it in California, New York, I uh, hope not Massachusetts, uh, Rhode Island, they'll be able to do it, I'm sure. Um, there are some enclaves where they'll be able to pull the steel off with no problem. But the rest of the country is going to wallop them because you've got the FBI chasing after normal American citizens who just want to say in, in what gets taught to their, their kids, what kind of books are in their libraries. You get the, the gay porno books out of there. And can you believe it? I was watching something online and you had a bunch of of overly educated uh, librarians coming in and saying, I've got a PhD, I've got a master's degree in library sciences, and you should let me do what I want to do. No, you're a pervert. You've got a PhD in perversion, uh, piled high and deeper. Uh it's that kind of stuff. It's the FBI going and targeting normal American citizens. Yeah, a lot of people don't want to stick their heads up right now. But you know what? They're not voting for the Democrats who have put this crap into place. None of them have any sense to them. And for the most part, it's Democrats putting this stuff into place. Now don't, talk, don't call me about... Um, don't call to me, don't call in is what I should say, about Lindsey Graham. I don't want to talk about that, that stupid rhino. But um, I've got false flags here is what I want to talk about. Oh, and the election. So the election will not be able to be stolen. So the next thing to do is to go to war. 
get people to go to war, get people waving the flag, getting all patriotic. Oh, oh, because, you know, our troops are in harm's way. I want to say right now, before Joe Biden gets us into this war, I'm against this war. I'm against a war with Russia. I don't care which way Ukraine goes. I know that's a very tough thing to say, very harsh thing to say. There's a lot of people, a couple of Ukrainian churches um, in the area. But the fate of Ukraine doesn't matter to me. It's like what George Washington had said about about getting involved in European wars. Let's see if I've got that quoted in here. We have no business being there. You know, Europe is always at war with itself. Let them fight it out. If NATO goes to war, fine. The United States can stay outside of that. Um, but... I still haven't gotten to the false flag because a false flag is setting up a false attack. Now, I was going to go into a whole list of of false flags. The sinking of the Lusitania in World War I was a false flag because it was carrying munitions. Its sister ship, the Mauritania, had just delivered 5,000 troops from Canada to um, to Europe, and that is against international law. The reason that that Germany attacked the ships was because they knew that they were carrying weapons, and they knew that it was carrying troops for the war. So Germany attacked a supply ship that happened to have people on board. Now, that wasn't the immediate cause for us to get into World War I, but it was one of the big reasons. In fact, if either um, Teddy Roosevelt or William Howard Taft had been president at the time, they would have gone to war over that. That is a type of false flag. It's an actual attack, but it's used to blame somebody else who was the fault was actually Britain's for putting uh, weapons, for putting troops onto a commercial liner. But it was made to look like it was Germany's fault for doing it. Pearl Harbor was a false flag because FDR knew that um, it was going to happen. In fact, he set it up. In my book, on page 224, United States of Empire, passing the mantle from the United States to the, to, from the United Kingdom to the United States, there was a list of uh, eight things that I think a guy by the name of, uh, what was his name, Commander uh, Admiral McCullough. Anyhow, he had told... Roosevelt to do eight separate things. He didn't do all these things. Uh, like one of them is give all possible aid to the Chinese government of Chiang Kai-shek. Uh, send a division of long-range cruisers to the, to the Orient, Philippines, or Singapore. Uh, let's see. Completely embargo all trade with Japan in collaboration with a similar embargo imposed by the British Empire. And the main one, keep the main strength of the U.S. fleet now in the Pacific in the vicinity of the Hawaiian Islands. You see, at one time, the the Pacific fleet was, uh, I think it was in San Diego. And in San Diego, it was safer, less likely to be attacked. And there was a problem with Hawaii as a base for, for the Pacific Fleet. You had a Pacific Fleet. Uh, the, the fleet got split up into the Pacific and Atlantic. But these are five things uh, on page 225 of my book. 
five problems with with Jews in Hawaii, and this was um, these these were the objections of Admiral James O. Richardson. He rejected uh, this plan, and he rejected the plan for five reasons: lack of fundamental training facilities, lack of large-scale ammunition and fuel supplies. A lack of support craft such as tugboats and repair shops. There would be a morale problem with sailors being away from the families for extended periods of time. And lack of overhaul facilities such as dry docking and machine shops. What FDR did was he sent the Pacific Fleet into, into Hawaii which did not have the facilities to take care of a fleet. It it was overcrowded. Uh, Again, I couldn't print out my pictures, but pictures aren't any good on the radio anyhow. Some of the ships were, 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 were moored side by side. So they, they were just congested in, um, in row, um, in uh, shipping row, um, I forget what it was called. But in the harbor where all the ships were, it was very congested. It was very tight. In other words, it was an easy target. Not only was it an easy target because everything was condensed there, but it would be hard for the ships to get out. Especially the ships that were side by side. The ship on the outside would have to leave first. And then the ship on the inside would be able to maneuver and get out. But anyhow, they were sent there. They were set up um, as, as sitting ducks. And FDR knew he was setting them up. And he allowed almost 3,000 sailors and Marines to be killed. Because he needed us in the war. Now, that's a false flag. I mean, it's an actual attack. It was actually Japan that that did it. But Japan was set up so that he'd come in and draw first blood and get the American people mad, mad enough to go to war. Before the attack on Pearl Harbor... About 75, 80% of the people were dead set against being involved in either the Pacific, the war in the Pacific or the war in Europe because of what had happened in World War I. The American people felt that we got lied into going to war in World War I, the war to end all wars, and we had no interest in going back there again. So when I use the term false flag, it doesn't mean that nothing happened and it's, it's, it's a fake event. It's not necessarily a fake event, but it is something that has a disguised reasoning behind it. Oh, and before I take a break, one of the reasons why FDR had, actually there's two reasons, had um, allowed Pearl Harbor to be attacked was he had promised the American voters that American soldiers would, would not uh, be fighting in foreign wars. He said that on the campaign trail. He said it in Boston in front of a mainly Irish crowd, which was anti-British, because a lot of people saw uh, getting involved in the European war as helping the British save their empire. So he said, your boys will not be fighting in a foreign war. Having made that promise, he couldn't just do a 180 because, remember, even at that time, you had to get a declaration of war from Congress. Uh, Today, uh, you know, the president just sends troops out and, um, you know, starts wars on on their own. And then Congress has to complain about it. But then you couldn't make the first move without a declaration of war from Congress. Same thing in World War I. So Roosevelt could not just make a 180 change. So he tried to get Germany to attack us. He, he had the, um, 
the Greer. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. It was the Greer. The USS Greer had located a uh, German submarine in the Atlantic Ocean around off of Iceland. And the Greer chased the, the German submarine for like four hours, dropping depth charges on it and trying to, uh, you know, destroy it. And it couldn't. And the German uh, submarine never fired on the Greer because Germany didn't want to draw the United States into the war at that point. They were going to allow. Um, they were going to allow Japan to draw them in, but um, that was in the newspapers. That happened in September of 1941, and Roosevelt talked about it on on his uh, broadcast, his Sunday broadcast, his fireside chats. Tried to drum up, you know, some excitement. Uh, tried to drum up, uh, you know. The desire for war because of this incident. Nobody went for it. Nobody bit. Because we were attacking a German submarine and there was no loss of life. It was completely different with um, Pearl Harbor. It changed everything. That did make a 180 degree turn and then Roosevelt had the war that he wanted. Joe Biden wants a war and the deep state wants a, a war to be able to stay in power. If we get a bunch of America first uh, Republicans, and I, I don't even want to use the term Republican, American first patriots into Congress, um, they may cut off funding for the war in Ukraine. Then the Romneys and the McConnells and uh, the Bidens won't get their kickback money anymore. But I'm going a little bit long on that, and there's there's a lot to this. Um, I lost a point. Let's let's take a break because I know this is deep. States of Empire by James Dunn shows how the U.S. became a worldwide empire. It looks at the entry of the U.S. into both world wars. George Washington had warned us about entangling ourselves in European wars. Before World War I, the United States was not concerned with foreign conflicts. In World War I, we changed the balance of power in Europe. We went in to save the world for democracy. We expelled the German Kaiser and imposed our own idea of what Germany should look like. Propaganda painted the Kaiser as the evil Hun that was destroying civilization. So when the true barbarian rose to power, Hitler, how could we avoid being drawn in again? We saved Great Britain. Britain needed us again in World War II to save their bacon. We bought the hog. Now we are the empire. The book, The United States of Empire, in paperback, is available at Amazon.com.
That's right. I'm a spy. That's how I know all this stuff. I've got my sources. Yes, I do. And one of the things I want to look into is the deep state. Oh, that's a conspiratorial term. You know, uh, you've got your tin hat on. Uh, you're crazy. Well, the thing about the deep state is it's the bureaucracy that is behind the things. And I want to go back to World War I again. And there was a guy by the name of William Jennings Bryan. And he was the um, Secretary of State. Now, he had run for the, uh, the Democratic nomination three times, got it, and he lost three separate times. Then when uh, 19, what was it, 1912, 1912 comes around, he's, he's just done running for the presidency. Woodrow Wilson wins, and um, you know, he's in office, and the World War I starts while Woodrow Wilson is in office. Now, Bryant, Secretary of State Bryant, wanted to remain completely neutral on the, the whole war issue. And there was a um, starvation blockade that that Great Britain had imposed on, on Germany. Actually, it was a whole North Sea. They had a naval blockade that stopped anything from going to Germany. You know, it wouldn't get down to Austria either, but it also affected Denmark, uh, Norway, Sweden. They were called the Northern Neutrals. They complained fiercely, but after the sinking of the Lusitania, no one really listened to them. But on talking about the Lusitania, Lansing had had stated, because the, the German diplomats that were in the United States were complaining to Lansing, and through him they were complaining to the president about the blockade that Great Britain had put on the North Sea because it was starving civilians as well as affecting the, the military. And they were saying that the Lusitania, as well as the other ship, the Mauritania, was doing things that, that was against maritime law. And Lansing, who, who is the Undersecretary of State, now he supposedly he works underneath Bryant, who is the Secretary of State. Uh, you know, Mike Pompeo was the Secretary of State for um, for Donald Trump, and you know there'd be people working underneath him. So Lansing replies to the Germans saying, no, we checked those boats and there was nothing illegal on them. They, they, they were not in defiance of maritime law. And, and Secretary of State Bryan would have to have signed off on, on the, this concept because there had to be a formal letter that went to the president. Brian refused to sign off on it, and in fact, he quit his position. You know, and he had some some integrity to him. He would not lie to the president. He would not lie to the American public because Britain was sending uh, shipments of armament on commercial liners and uh, sending troops on commercial liners, and that meant that America was complicit in the war effort for Great Britain. The Secretary of State knew it. The President knew it. So they were lying when they said, this is not happening. They lied about the involvement, our involvement in the war, even before the war began. And that's why we eventually got into the war. It took a lot of things, especially in World War I. Uh, the Germans reinstated the um, submarine warfare. They stopped it because of the Lusitania. They started it up again later. 
get my book, The United States of Empire, The Passing the Mantle from the United Kingdom to the United States. It will explain uh, the whys and wherefores behind that. But the point I'm trying to make right now is that the deep state, the bureaucrats, had more pull with President Woodrow Wilson than the um, than the appointed Secretary of State, William Jennings Bryant. We were being lied to the whole time when we got started into World War I. And if we didn't get started in World War I, there's no World War II. We changed the balance of power in, uh, in Europe because of our involvement. Again, get my book, The United States of Empire. It gets into that. And yeah, I'm shamelessly plugging my book, but why not? And it pertains to the deep state today. The deep state has been around for over a hundred years. Why do you think Trump couldn't get rid of the deep state? Why do you think they attacked him so viciously? Uh, you know, Vinman. How dare he make a phone call and ask for for a you know charge of corruption uh, against Hunter Biden? All he did was hire hookers. And uh, take bribes from foreign countries and, and pay kickbacks to his father. That's the way Washington works. And they don't want you to upset the apple cart. That's how Mitch McConnell makes his money. That's how Romney makes his money. That's how Pelosi makes their money. And Lindsey Graham, let's not forget about him. The deep state is pulling Joe Biden's uh, strings. They are the puppet master. He is a puppet. And I do think he's going to run in 2024. Because if you saw him speak at, at the United Nations, during the speech he was doing fine. Afterwards, he got lost and didn't know which way he was going to go. But he did okay in that speech. He did okay in the Nuremberg speech there in Philadelphia. That's what they're calling it now. His domestic terrorist speech that he made. The deep state does not want to give up power. They've had it for over a hundred years. They're being exposed now. I sure hope that there is no war started before the election or immediately after it. That's, I, I don't want any war to, to develop. Well, there is already a war going on in Ukraine, yes. And yes, the United States is involved. NATO's already involved. But it needs to come to an end. We need to refuse to fund it. Otherwise, we could run into World War III. And there could be nuclear exchanges, people. Putin does not bluff when he says he's got nukes and he'll use them if he has to. He will use them. So anyhow, I've been talking almost the whole show here. Got nine minutes left. If anyone wants to call and uh, chime in, if not, I'll go into some lighter stuff. Because I know that's that's a heavy subject, but I needed to cover it. And by the way, get my book, The United States of Empire, The Passing of the Mantle from the United Kingdom to the United States. Very interesting book there. Let's see. Here we go. This is the lightest thing I've got. California targets diesel trucks in its latest environmental crusade. This is from the Washington example. Oh, it looks like a... <laughs> uh, speaking, it shall be done. Nope, nope. I thought I had a caller. So I'll go back to California. Let's see. So California targets diesel trucks in its latest... Environmental crusade. California has already set itself up for energy failures by banning the sale of new gas-powered cars starting in 2035. But now the state has set a deadline to eliminate commercial diesel trucks as well. California is preparing to ban the sale of commercial diesel trucks by 2040 and require trucks entering ports and rail yards to be zero emission vehicles by 2035. 
some companies such as Walmart and Amazon would have until 2042 to convert their trucks to electric. Isn't that nice? California is going to crush the mom and pop, uh, you know, diesel uh, truck uh, companies. But Walmart and Amazon gets a seven-year break. Oh, isn't that nice? Too big to fail continues. They were too big to fail during COVID. You know, they were essential. You weren't. And now they're going to be more essential than you again. (laughs) Yeah, welcome to Animal Farm, George Orwell's other book. All the animals are free, except the pigs are more free. Uh, No, all animals are equal, but the pigs are more equal. Let me see. California does not have the infrastructure to support such a plan, according to Chris Shimoda, the vice president of the California Trucking Association. That is hardly a surprise, given that California does not have the infrastructure to support its current population of 39 million. The state only narrowly avoided rolling blackouts earlier this month, according to, the US, according to USA Today, after begging residents not to use electricity between 4 and 9 p.m. Even then, thousands lost power in Northern California, and rolling blackouts have been the norm over the last several years. All right, all right, I got you. Looks like there's someone on the line. Let's see if they want to talk about California or the deep state. Go ahead, caller. What you thinking about? What you're just talking about? All these, all these power plants are going to run all these. What? All I do for a living is I travel up and down the East Coast. Yep. Pretty much in one power plant. Yep. All these power plants are 30 years old. We can't even keep them running. <laughs> now, now what, what, what would happen if we had like a million electric vehicles that had to be charged overnight? It won't work. It will not work. We they have a hard enough time. Uh, they do a pretty good program in the grid. Uh, like the plant I work at is about like 600 megawatts, yeah. and the scheduling is pretty good on that. And we're lucky because we have four four turbines, two steam turbines, so right. we can regulate our power because you have to make power on demand. And it takes a while to turn these things on. <laughs> so I could imagine. If everything goes electric, we need nukes, nuclear power plants, and more gas power plants. That ain't going to happen. Not, not, not in this kind of thinking. I mean, if, if you get a, a, a deal there as governor of, of Massachusetts, maybe. But if yeah. you get more Healy as the governor of Massachusetts, forget about it. The, you know, well, New the, the, biggest thing, the biggest thing with wind, yeah, yeah, it's great. It's always there. But, yeah, at nighttime, the wind can stop. That's when you have to charge all these big diesel vehicles. It's not going to work. And that's the thing. I mean, if if it takes like eight hours to charge a car, what would it take to charge a a rig the size of a diesel engine? Oh, it's got to be a big three-phase connection. It, uh, it can be done, but it, the amp load is huge. Yeah, it can be done, but it would if it takes eight hours to charge up a, a car, it would take like... You know, a couple of days no, to charge up. Hours, but the amp load is uh, three times more. Yeah. So you need even more power because a house is, a normal house is uh, 240 volts. Yeah. That's single phase. Now, when you go into three phase, 460 volts, and then you jack the amps up, you got to have something behind it. So, how, Not, how, how do these politicians think that they're actually doing something smart? Or, or are they just trying to kill the economy? They're just like Roosevelt and everybody else. They're just, oh, yeah, we'll do whatever you want to do. <laughs> not going to work. No, it's not. See, the, the thing is, is though all us smart people in industry, we're the ones that are going to figure it out. I guess it'll be a solution, but I, I think the best solution is <laughs> more coal-fired plants, more nukes, uh, more gas-fired. Gas, gas and nukes. Gas and nukes, and then uh, carbon recovery stuff. I worked at a power plant in Bellingham, Massachusetts. If you look it up, uh, it, it was owned by Florida Lane Power. It was so sophisticated at the time, back in uh, 2002. The, the entire stack, they had dampeners. 
All the stack emissions went under this plant, and they made dry ice. They captured all the carbon coming off the plant, and they made blocks of dry ice. It was the most sophisticated thing ever, and back then they didn't care about the carbon emissions. Okay, I got one minute left for you. (laughs) They just wanted to make money off of making the dry ice. So all the emissions they were making into dry ice, the market fell out on dry ice, and they tore the CO2 plant down. But at that point in time, there never been anything built like it. Bellingham, Massachusetts. Okay, I got to go. Out of time. Thank you for the call. Yep. Turn that off. That would always help. Okay, that has been Dunn's deal. Thank you for for listening, and I hope you found it informative. There it comes. It's coming now. The end. The Blues Brothers. Great way to end the show. And I'm being told to get out of here, so I gotta go. This is a Dunn's Deal. Tell your friends and neighbors to tune in Friday evenings at 6.05 for Jim's perspective on the issues of the week. You're listening to WNRI Woonsocket.